Welcome to the orchard. We are glad you were here today. We want to lift him higher, and that song is what I am hoping to do today. Today is one of the most audacious uh, sermons and weeks that I've come from to try to distill some things that are so large into something we can understand here. And I made this promise at 8.30, and I'll make it to you. If I get done with this, the next two hours of preaching, and you don't know what I'm talking about, (laughs) and you don't know what I'm talking about, I'll come back next week and explain it all, okay? I've been looking forward to this. But before we um, just jump right in, for those of you who have not been with us the last two weeks, or even if you have been, I need to set the stage for where we're going. So I'm going to do a very swift review on some things. In creation, Genesis 1 and 2, we have God hovering over the darkness and the raging waters. And the author here is showing us that God is above the chaos. And what is it that God first starts creating in Genesis 1? He starts creating these foundations of order. He creates time, day and night. He creates weather and seasons, foundations of the earth as we know it. Then he creates all this, and what does he say? It's good. And then he brings order to that chaos, and he calls that order that he created from that chaos, he calls that order good, and then he creates creatures within it to inhabit it. He calls them good. So what we have here in the beginning, what we have is a a world that is ordered and that is good, and that is his. God creates something different next. What does he do? He wants to share in this good and ordered creation. He wants to share it with someone, and so he creates humanity, and he creates them in his image. We are called image bearers, male and female image bearers. He created humans with a purpose, and we we mentioned that the first purpose you were created is for relationship with him. He created us for a relationship with him. That was the original intent there in in the beginning, and that's the intent now. He also created them for purposes here on the earth. He created them to steward and tend his good and ordered creation. They had a job. They had work to do. They had things to do to care for and tend for what God had created and called good. We talked last week that humanity wasn't content with this, were they? Adam and Eve, they reached and they grasped outside the boundaries of love because they thought God was holding out on them. They don't want just a steward. They want to lord over it. And that has been the central conflict throughout the entire Bible. They bought the lie that they could be like God, not just an image bearer of God. You see, they were created to tend and steward the garden, not lord over it. We chose selfishness because we wanted more outside of what God had for us. And the results of sin were immediate, weren't they? We talked about this. Immediately there was sin, and after sin there's always shame They tell God, they they say, God, we're naked and afraid. Two words they didn't know before, two words that didn't exist before. And what did God do? Genesis 3.21. God made clothing from animal skins for Adam and his wife. Right here in Genesis 3, it sets a pattern of sin and forgiveness that continues to this day. Because to make these garments to cover their sin, innocent animals would have to die. Innocent blood was shed to cover sin sin and shame from the very beginning. 
And for generation upon generation, from the tabernacle to the temple, we would see this pattern continue as the shedding of innocent blood for the forgiveness of sin. It was a temporary forgiveness, but God had an eternal plan. And then we see Jesus step into the world. And what is Jesus? We're going to talk about a few different things that he is. But first and foremost, Jesus is fully God, fully divine. He's come into our world. He's also fully human. He's an image bearer. Jesus, in fact, he's, he's the true image bearer, the truest. And listen, Jesus came to earth to show us the original intent that Adam and Eve were supposed to look like. I mean, he's even called the last Adam in some of the Bible verses. We have the first Adam and the last Adam. He's going to show us and model for us the intent of what that first looked like. To speak and to act and to love and to live in a good and ordered way. He did this and some of the things that he said, in fact, the th everything that he said and what he did, it is still relevant to us today in modern American culture. You see, he came and he said some things here in, in, in the New Testament that hint back to, to Genesis 1 and 2 of what the image bearers were supposed to look like and sound like. He said things like, if you want to be first, you need to be last. In a room full of disciples who were jockeying for position, he grabbed a towel and he washed their feet, even washing the feet of his betrayer. Jesus was speaking of the original design of Genesis when he said to his followers, but among you, and that includes us, among you it should be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. You see, God's original intent was an ordered and good world stewarded by good and ordered image bearers who he would partner with to do amazing things. But because of sin, chaos entered the world, and it entered the hearts of us, the people. We messed up, and fundamentally, it fundamentally cha changed the way we do everything. It changed the way we steward. It changed the way we govern this world. You see, Jesus came to show us the better way. And we see how Jesus interacted with things like the, how they tend the earth and governing we see how Jesus interacts with politics and, and government and earthly authority. And here's what I'm going to say. Jesus didn't come and declare a nation. He came and declared a kingdom. Over and over, he says, the kingdom of God is here. And anywhere he went, the kingdom of God was present. And as his image bearers, those who follow Jesus, wherever you go, the kingdom of God is here, present, you're bringing it to bear. You go to the coffee shop, the kingdom of, of heaven is with you. That's how we are intended to look. This is a kingdom far above and far more powerful than any earthly politics or, or rulers or nations. Back then, the religious, the religious elites, the Pharisees, they wanted a religious uh, um, political king. But Jesus would only act on behalf of his father, the king, on the behalf of the kingdom. There were zealots in his time who wanted to overthrow the corrupt government, and Jesus took zero part in that. Instead, he focused on overthrowing the sin and chaos of the world by bringing love and order and peace. When you see the model Jesus set, and when you are on kingdom business, you begin to see politics for what they are, humans attempting to bring imperfect order to chaos that we already created. 
And sometimes it works better than others. History shows us that there have been times where as we as humans have tried to govern this world and our fallen nature and it has had devastating impacts. The truth is this. There is no perfect candidate. There is no perfect party until we are one day under the rule of our perfect king. In heaven, believe it or not, and I almost hesitate to even tell you this because in heaven, Republicans and Democrats are going to worship Jesus together. Because the path to heaven isn't a party, it's a person. To take this one step further, if you'll allow me, the Bible says that those who follow Jesus are first and foremost citizens of heaven before you're a citizen of a nation. Which means a person's registration may say Democrat or Republican or Independent, but the soul of a Jesus follower is registered to a divine monarchy, and they live under the command of a king. And we as Jesus followers should be on kingdom business. We're to live on this planet on behalf of the king. And while we citizens of heaven are on this earth, we're to be about going wherever we go and having the kingdom of heaven at hand, revealing Jesus to a world and bringing them to a saving belief in him. And I'm gonna say this. The moment Christians are more interested in politically saving America instead of saving Americans, we're off our intended purpose. Jesus' followers are on this planet to do what Jesus did. And that's point to the king. Point to God. Jesus didn't just show us how to rule and govern and steward. He showed us how to live. Where we toil for what the world offers and we try to gain and build, Jesus chose instead to give and offer what he already had from heaven. We're not on this earth to get as much as we can. That's the fallen side of it. We're actually on this earth to give as much heaven away as we can to those around us. Let me say it another way. We aren't here to accumulate earthly valuables. Instead, we're here to give away heavenly virtue. Wherever you go, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus prayed as earth as it is in heaven, which means we bring from heaven the love, the compassion, the justice, the boldness. We bring those things to bear and give them away to those in need. Jesus came to show us what the original intent of, Jesus, of, of Genesis looked like. The original intent for us to steward and govern and rule and bear God's image here on earth. Jesus was about heaven's purposes, bringing order to chaos. And this is how we're to live. And just some small examples of what this would look like is when it comes to gossip, that's verbal chaos. Instead, bring order, speak truth in love, bear the image. When it comes to lust, that's mental chaos. Instead, may your desires be aligned with heaven as you respect other image bearers. Hate is emotional chaos. Bring your hurts and disagreements to heaven's order. And when possible, go to that person and make it right. And when that's not possible, release them from that bitterness for your own sake. Bottom line, when Jesus said, come follow me, he meant it, that we're to follow him and the way he lived and the way he loved and what he stood for. So God created this, in Genesis 1 and 2, he created this, this good place and this good order. And then he created humanity to steward it in a good way. And then Genesis 3, we messed it up. 
And then Jesus came and he revealed what it looks like to live as God intended. And here's the kicker. And I need you to stick with me with, through this. So I'm going to ba- go big on this one. If we take Genesis, the, our current series, and we look at the original intent of Genesis 1 and 2, right on these first pages, and then we look over to the gospel and look at Jesus, the model of what was intended, then we move forward to the very end, to re- the end of Revelation. The first pages, the last pages, and Jesus in the middle. It shows us something that is so powerful and so beautiful and so vast in God's design. And here's what it is. You see, we in churchianity have come to believe that the point of Christianity is to someday get off this planet. To believe in Jesus, to do good, and then retire in heaven someday. What if God's plan was much larger than that? What if it was much more beautiful than that? And here's the answer. What God did and intended in Genesis, a good and ordered world with his image bearers stewarding with goodness over it. We see that in Genesis. Revelation tells us at the very end of the age, the end of Revelation, that someday that will be the end result. God's original plan will be fulfilled. At the end of days, when all has been completed, guess what Revelation 21 shows us? Then I saw a new heaven and new earth. For the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared. I heard a shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He'll wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be more, no more death, no sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. We see a new earth redeemed, renewed, restored to its original order and goodness. And just like Genesis 1 and 2, We see in Revelation a good God dwelling with his good people. We don't don't have the chaos at the end of death and sorrow, just like we didn't have the chaos in Genesis 1 and 2. Peter, who followed Jesus closely, said this, We are looking forward to the new heavens and new earth as he promised, a world filled with God's goodness. Paul said that Jesus would remain in heaven until the time for the final restoration of all things, as God promised long ago through his prophets. It ends how it begins. The original intent in Genesis is restored in Revelation. And this order and perfection that we will live in, it won't be some never-ending church service where we're in a choir singing all the time. That doesn't sound like heaven. And then we don't find that in Genesis in the original intent. I mean, some of you can barely make it through two songs in this place. You're going to have a hard time someday. Let's play the chorus again. We look back to Genesis at the original design. We see Adam and Eve. They weren't created for eternal hymns. They were created for a purpose. On the new earth, like them, you're going to have work to do. 
But don't be worried. It's not work like you know it now in this fallen state. You're going to have true purpose-driven work like Adam and Eve did to create, to steward, to do things of value, to explore God's creation and adventure, to enjoy his creation and tend it and govern over it as his image bearer, stewarding the gifts that God gave you as they express out for other people in this earth. It's living in the fun and the freedom of his order without the chaos of sin. I hope at some level you're beginning to see the full scope of God's plan. How just vast it is. And that Genesis gives us the first little clue, just a taste of what we're going to see. But while we're talking today about this epic scope of God's plan, I want to go one step bigger. And I want to, to, to go to the middle to what Jesus did. Because it connects Genesis 1 and 2, and it connects Revelation 21. We have condensed Jesus' purpose to him coming and dying and raising again so that he can get us off the planet someday. But what Jesus did and what Jesus is going to do is so vast. I hope it blows your mind today like it blew mine this week. It, it, it fits here. What, what happened, it fits here between the, the beginning and the end about what Jesus is going to do. And to launch this, to, to launch this, I need to teach you a new word. Okay? You guys ready to learn something today? This word has 19 letters in it, and it's Greek. Okay? It's a word that none of you can pronounce, and it's one that I will be pronouncing throughout the sermon. But since you don't know it, you're not going to know that I'm butchering it, and that's okay. Um, I'm going to go ahead. It's Greek. I'm going to go ahead and put it up here. I just want you to go ahead and, um, no, 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 go ahead, give it your best shot. Say it out loud. Anakephaliosasthai. Say it with me, ready? Anakephaliosasthai. Let's put it all together. Anakephaliosasthai. Yeah, yeah. These two words joined together has a few meanings. One of the main meanings of, of this word is to, it says, to bring things back together under one head again. It also, in some translations, can be mean, it means to be retelling. Retelling. And so, anakephaliosisthai is a retelling of something to bring it back under one head Again. Now, you're like, oh, that, that's interesting. What does it mean with Genesis and Revelation? I, I love that you asked this. Let me give you an example of anakephaliosis thigh. You might know some of my wife and I's uh, story, if you've been here long enough. My, my dear wife, Amy. Um, we were both married previously. Amy's husband tragically died in a ski accident in Snowmass. And, and talking with her about just the pain and the hardship of that, not just the, for a little while, but for a long seasons, the private tears that no one saw, the heartbreak, the giving up on what she thought would be the life that she wanted. Uh, my previous spouse was chronically unfaithful. And I went through just a heart-wrenching time of being wounded and, and, and losing tr my trust being wounded, betrayal, 
private tears, seasons of just giving up on what life could ever be, giving up on love. I mean, we had so much heartbreak, so much woundedness on both of our stories. And we sat down with our kids who, who are getting older. And since I talk about these things openly with you, sometimes stories make their way back to them. And so we wanted to get ahead of that. So we sat them down. We told them kind of what happened with both of our, our first marriages. And we said, but kids, guess what? God began to, to move and work in daddy's heart and mommy's heart to heal us. And then somebody, somebody right here in this very room introduced mommy and daddy. And, and, and Elijah, that's when I just fell in love with your mommy. I didn't know if I would love again. And your mommy fell even more in love with me. <laughs> and I said, and guess what? We got married. We stood up in front of all our family and friends and we promised God that we would love each other. And then we weren't even, at, once, at one point, we weren't even supposed to be able to have children, but we have two miracle kids. Elijah, Selah, do you see what God has done? I'm anakephaliosophizing our entire journey. I'm retelling all the loss, all the hardship, all the dark nights that no one knows we went through under a new glorious head. But you do this. We all do this. Because when we go camping, when we go camping, we do this. Uh, when you go camping, what happens? Especially if you go with children, you get, you know, you get the flat tire, Yeah? And then it rains and your tent gets wet. And then, if you, I mean, if you're in Moab, there is sand in everything. <laughs> every nook, every cranny, every hot dog, everything. There's sand or there's dirt. You're eating hot dogs with dirt. You're smoking your eyes. The kids don't sleep, which means no one sleep, which means mornings are a great joy. And then finally, you, you, by, the end, by the end, you pack up and go home. And you're like, why do we do that? And, and, but then at some point, you go and you tell the story as a family of all you went through and all that went wrong and the sandy hot dogs and all the stuff and you tell it and guess what you anacephaliosisai the whole weekend under a new glorious head of a family bonding a trip and it wasn't so bad was it in fact let's try that again next month you see what does this have to do with Genesis though and what does it have to do with Revelation and what does this have to do with Jesus? Because I'm, I'm going to tell you, Paul uses this word when he tells us something absolutely explosive in Ephesians 1. The Spirit leads him to write something that gives us just a glimpse of the magnitude of, of who Jesus is and what Jesus is about. Because Jesus is in the business of anacephaliosophizing. He's going to retell some things under a new glorious heading. Ephesians 1, God has now revealed to us his mysterious will regarding Jesus, which is to fulfill his own good plan. Now, this is such a good setup. I mean, we have mystery. God has revealed a mystery about Jesus. And guess what? It has to do with fulfilling some good plan of God's. But which plan? I mean, I'm, seriously, which plan? Could it be page one plan? Could it be? 
God has now revealed to us his mysterious will regarding Jesus, which is to fulfill his own good plan. And this is the plan. At the right time, he will bring everything under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and on earth. That's where that word is found. He will bring everything together under one head, his authority. In the end, Jesus is going to anakephaliosathize everything. What does that mean? That means all the sin, all the chaos, all the history, all the terrible things that have happened, all the, everything humanity has brought upon itself, but it means something else too. Just like that camping trip, when you look back on it, when you were in it, when you were in the tent, it was the worst thing ever. Why do we do this? You're gonna look back on your life and the abuse and the hardship and the diagnosis and the loss and everything you've been through. In the end, it will be anachephaliosified under Jesus in a glorious way. The whole creation will be anachephaliosified. That's what we see in Revelation. That's what we see back here. We see a redeemed earth with redeemed people brought under one head, Jesus, again fulfilling God's good plan from the beginning. But, it, but that's great. But what does it mean for you today? What does it mean for us now? The same way that Amy and I, Anakephaliosified, our marriage and our life. We retold it under a glorious new heading of love and what God has done in us and through us. The same way you anachephaliosathize your camping trip, Jesus is doing that actively in your life now. And we need to do something. We need to step in and partner with him as he anachephaliosathizes our life and step out of the lie the enemy has been trying to write for us to live in. Because God wants to retell your story under a glorious new reality that has something with Jesus on the cross and crucified and risen again. Because of what Jesus did, the darkest days of your life do not get the last word. The hardest seasons of your life because of what Jesus did in his retelling do not get to define you. They don't have to define you. The thing you're facing today, whatever addiction or vice or sin or hardship you're facing today does not have to define your tomorrow because he wants to retell your story under the glorious way he is redeeming your life day by day. Let's be honest. It doesn't matter if you're watching around the globe or it doesn't matter if you're listening in your car during the week or if you're here within the shot of my voice. Whatever it is, you've been through some life. Man, you've been through stuff. And let's be honest, no one knows some of the things you've been through. And no one really knows how hard some of those things have been for you. The abuse you face loss, you've lost loved ones, you know broken dreams. You've been hurt significantly by others and you have hurt other people and you have hurt yourself. Your life has been quite a journey to lead you wherever you are to the sound of my voice. Yet here you are. And you can allow those things to define you. You can allow your sin to define you, but you don't have to. 
and he doesn't want you to. You can lean into the beauty of Jesus and his anakephaliosathai as he brings all things under the head of what he did for you on the cross and the empty tomb. You can allow his sacrifice and goodness to begin to retell your story that you are not who you were, that you're not defined by your sin and you will not be defined by what they did to you and you will not be defined by the divorce or the diagnosis or the loss. You will not be defined by those things. Instead, you will be defined by what Jesus has done and what he is doing in your life to retell your story. And his anakephaliosathai can draw you into retelling, reframing, renewing, and redeeming even the worst things of your life. And one thing God promised me decades ago, before I even met this beautiful woman, before I even thought about preaching her up here, was that he was going to use my darkest days for his glory. As he, lets, as he retold them in my life, and now I retell them, hoping it gives you hope where you are. The reality is whatever you have been through or has been done to you or that you're sitting in today in those dark places of your past, you still are, you're, you're still breathing. You've overcome every single thing that's been thrown to, at you to get to this point. And if you're listening to this, what that means is Jesus isn't done redeeming you yet. He's not done working yet. He's not done working things into you. He's not done working things out of you. He's not done healing those wounds. He's not, he's not done. He's working in you and on your behalf in ways you don't even know yet. He wants to retell and redeem your identity. He wants to remake and reframe your destiny and what's ahead for you. You've been forgiven, and therefore, you can forgive others. Emotionally and mentally, releasing people that hurt you, not because they deserve it. You can forgive them because you are stepping into the retelling of your story. You are anakephaliosathizing your own life the way that God wants you to, and therefore you can release them from that grudge and that bitterness that's only hurting you because you're retelling things under the, under the, the head of grace and so that you can move forward free of that. There are people who tried to write a really ugly story across your life. But in Jesus, he wants to retell that story by what his Savior did. Stepping into anakephaliosathai of Jesus is letting your hurts, your abuse, your sins, all to be retold, remade, redeemed into a story of overcoming, a story of goodness, a story of forgiveness, a story of grace, a story of strength, a story that he is in you and greater is he that is in you than anything that is in the world. And you have the strength to forgive and you have the courage to love the unlovable because you have a mighty God who's retelling your story. And you don't have to be defined by the past because of what he's retelling in the present and what he's leading to in the end of your destiny. Yes, you were harmed by others, chaos. And you sinned in your life creating your own chaos. But thanks to Jesus, that doesn't have to get the last word. Someday, someday, Jesus will anakephaliosathize everything, everything, the entirety of everything. But today, 
you can allow that mighty work on the cross and the empty grave to anakephaliosathize your story. You are a walking, listen, listen, you are a walking, breathing anakephaliosathai. You are. You, you are a walking, breathing one of those. In Jesus, your story has been re, retold under a new banner. How do I know? The, the, as David would say, the Bible tells me so. 2 Corinthians 5.17, if anyone is in Jesus, they're a new creation. Something's been retold and remade. If the old life is gone, the new life has begun. There's someone who wants you to live in the old narrative, but Jesus is rewriting and retelling something that says the new is here. It's time to stop living in the chaos of the pain of the past and realize that you follow a King Jesus who did in you and for you something you can never do for yourself. Yes, there's been hardship. What was meant to destroy you has not though. It has built you. And what was meant to break you, man, let that stuff be the fertilizer the breakthrough grows up in. Because God's in the business of retelling. There were things in your life meant to steal and rob your joy. But because of Jesus and his anakephaliosathai, those, those places of pain and hurt, that's where you plant your banner of worship. And the, and the place that there were words spoken over your life by people who wanted to hurt you. Things that were meant to, to, to rob your identity, to wound your identity and diminish you and that still haunt you. That is where the Anakephaliosathai rallying cry of heaven says, you are worthy and you are loved and you are forgiven and you have significance and Jesus died for you and you're not defined by the word spoken over you. You're defined by a much higher word spoken in you. When we're in Jesus, we're on the side. We partner with Anakephaliosathai. In fact, this is where we're going to end. On this planet, on this planet, you become an agent of Anakephaliosathai. You become an agent of it, a catalyst of it. I painted this vast picture from, from Genesis to Revelation. And the problem with Christianity is we were so focused at just doing good here to get off the planet that someday we'll be with God. That, that we, but, but listen, this life isn't just some purgatory where we have to go through difficult stuff to finally get to heaven. We have purpose. We have things we need to do while we're here. Revelation tells us that someday, it says this, someday there will be no darkness because the light of God will illuminate everything. That means everything will be light and you will live in light. But that is not this day, which is why Jesus said, you are the light of the world because there is a world of darkness out there that needs light. He said to go and shine before others so they can see the Father. That means you are on this planet as a catalyst of light to anakephaliusathai and show people what happens in this retelling. And here's the point, you only get one life. You only have so many sunrises left. But while you are here, you are an image bearer and you are tasked with bringing light to places that are dark. I just wanna remind you, someday it'll be different, but you'll never get this chance again. You get to go to work tomorrow and illuminate Jesus. You get to go out there and speak to those who don't know the light to illuminate God. 
you are an agent of Anakephaliosathai and your story has been changed because of him. Go tell that story. Go tell that story. Because someday, someday you won't get to. Someday this will be gone. We'll be free of the chaos. But until that day, you have one life, one chance to live as light in the darkness. And it's not a curse, it's an opportunity. Because there's people out there that, that are in need of people like us that have been retold and redeemed and remade. We have a privilege. We have an opportunity to go be light. And we don't get this chance forever. And we'll never get it again. But for now, we do. So we want them to see and believe in Jesus. So that their story, their story can be retold. So that our friends, our loved ones, our co-workers can know the power of Anakephaliosophi in their own life as God rewrites their identity and their past and their destiny. In Genesis 3, innocent blood was shed to cover sin and shame. A foreshadowing that Jesus would come and that his innocent blood would be shed and forever cover sin and shame of those who are in him. My, I hope today you see that you are a part of a vast and divine plan and that you have a vital role. And as we go into communion, if there are any of you in here today who don't know your place in this, this story, you've, you've never, you, you don't know Jesus as Savior, I just can't let this moment pass. And I want to pray a prayer that you can pray with me. And as you pray this, it, it, that's when Jesus begins to, to, co to um, retell your story. As you pray this prayer, he rewrites your destiny. This is, the, this is when the anakephaliosis happens. So if you would pray with me, say, Jesus, I need you. Forgive my past. Take my heart. Take my life. I know you died and rose again. Holy Spirit of God, fill me. As we go into communion, thank Jesus for his sacrifice. That he paid the price so that your story can be retold. And then let's worship.